Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to address one of these very difficult topics, which, well, you listeners are probably rather accustomed to at this point. Uh, This one addresses the global commercial meat production domain that hasn't been paid enough attention to yet from an environmental point of view and from a sheer economic point of view, really very much deserves our attention. So our guest today is Maria Latini, who is the director of FAIR, that's F-A-I-R-R. FAIR's mission is to build a global network of investors who are focused and engaged on the risks to intensive animal production within the broader food system. FAIR helps investors to exercise their influence as responsible stewards of capital to engage and safeguard the long-term value of their investment portfolios, while at the same time our precious planet. The two do go together. Maria has served as the director of the $16 trillion investor initiative, uh, known as FAIR, since 2016, and has overall oversight of the creation and execution of FAIR's strategy and work plans. Prior to this, Maria worked for the UN-supported Principles for Responsible Investment for some six years and has also 20 years, over 20 years, in global investment banking, business, and finance. So it's really a pleasure to have Maria on today to talk about the work of FAIR and what it's doing to create a more beautiful and fairer place on planet Earth. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. So glad to have you. So I just gave a little introduction here about yourself and about FAIR and what it's doing, but I'd like to have you, if you would, just spell it out more explicitly. What are the issues that are facing us environmentally and economically regarding specifically um, animal production, since that's the focus of FAIR? Yeah, um, no problem. Again, um, I think, you know, we're at a real point of transition. We, you know, the agricultural sector and the animal agricultural sector really um, took off about 50, 60 years ago with the onset of fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, where we started making um, grains and soft commodities in bulk. Um, that that meant that we had surplus grains that um, – very nicely put into uh, another intensified system known as animal agriculture. And so since the early 1940s, we've seen a real boom in the way that we've been producing animal protein. And the intensification of the system has meant that it has been growing um, at an exponential rate um, in a way that investors, we believe, haven't really uh, taken note of and haven't really focused in on the risks associated with um, intensive, intensive animal ag. Um, when we think about the amount of animals on the planet, um, you know, the meat production really has increased by 372% since the 60s. And now there's 70 billion animals 
that are produced for food. Um, and the industry generates revenue over, of over $1.3 trillion. Um, and this, I think, is not surprisingly means that there are probably some risks associated with um, rapidly <laughs> producing animals in such large scale. Um, and, and our view is that there was really a gap in knowledge, particularly when FAIR was launched in December of 2015, um, about the large-scale risks associated with producing animals in this way. Sure. I mean, one thing you mentioned at the beginning here is that the use of uh, grains to feed animals, well, that's not their Food, that's not their food stock. That's not what they eat in nature. So, I mean, starting right there, let alone the overall idea of commercialism of something like this and the way the animals are treated and on and on, uh, that mm-hmm. in itself causes a serious ecosystemic problem, biological problem. Exactly. I mean, and don't get me wrong, with the industrialization of many other sectors, there's been um, a lot of positive impacts. But in the intensification of livestock, what we've done is very rapidly um, tap into um, one of our scarce resources on the planet, which is water. Um, we are now using um, yes. 80% of all agricultural land for grazing and the production of animal feed. Um, and frankly, only, and it's the the most intensive sector with use of of water, fresh water on the planet. It's mm. the number one causer of deforestation, um, particularly in the Brazilian Amazon. It's the number one user of antibiotics worldwide, um, and most people are are unaware. And and yes. also, I mean, it's quite shocking when you think of the climate impacts of the sector, much less water in the others. I mean, the animal agriculture sector pr- produces more greenhouse gas emissions than the entire global transport sector. So we're talking about emissions of over 15% of global emissions, and that's not even including the feed that goes into the production mm-hmm. of animals, which you rightly pointed out has been produced on the increase um, in order to help um, intensify the system. Now, let me take a step back. I very much appreciate all that you're sharing here, uh, but let's just roll time back a little bit where animals in a yard in for a family from South Africa to anywhere in Asia to South America was part of a lifestyle. Uh, you know, a family would have a goat, might have a cow if they were wealthy, you know, a couple of chickens, and they all kind of lived together. In fact, they actually sometimes shared the same bed of hay when it was cold. Uh, and this actually helped to build strong immune systems among the children. And uh, overall, it was a very kind of loving arrangement overall. Um, and yes, it's true. Sometimes these animals were used for their milk uh, or their eggs and sometimes for their meat. How would you distinguish the difference between that arrangement, which seems very natural in many ways, the food that kept indigenous populations alive, like Native Americans and others across the planet, and the commercialization of the meat industry to the extent mm-hmm. that you're describing? Do you see a difference yeah, between these? 
Oh, of course. I mean, and I think, you know, the intensification of, of, of this system really happened in, in, a, in a post-war era, right? I mean, meat is, you know, was considered a luxury item. My grandparents had, yeah. you know, meat once a week. Um, and they ate meat and they enjoyed meat, but it was definitely something that uh, sort of signified a special day. Um, and now, because of the intensification and the commercialization of the system, costs have been driven down. And so meat is accessible to, to everyone. Now, that, of yes. course, is a positive because we want nutritious food to feed a growing population. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, on one side, on, when we talk about sheer economics, by producing animals in the way that we're currently producing them, we are not actually um, showing the, the true value uh, of the asset that's being produced, right? So we're having mm-hmm. to prop up a system by using antibiotics, et cetera, um, in ways that keep costs down and risks high. Whereas in, you know, in more traditional systems, animals, as you mentioned, were many times part of the family, even if the, the family knew that they were going to be you know, eating their turkey on Thanksgiving. But yes. the culture around um, sort of revering animals, um, to even if they were, were going to be eaten and provide um, you know, the family with sustenance and nutrients um, with a completely different mentality. And now, quite frankly, I think most of the population has absolutely no idea of how their meat gets to the table. And, you know, maybe in some cases they they don't need to know, or in many cases they probably feel that the government is is looking out for food safety and food security, and it's not something that they need to be concerned about. But the system has changed so much over the past decade. And we are yes, able to provide yes. protein to growing populations, but on the flip side, we're not actually valuing meat at a, an appropriate level, which also means that we're eating meat excessively and in some cases, you know, denying the, uh, the opportunity meat from, from developing countries. And hence, we're just seeing meat production turning into a machine uh, to produce food and in some cases, the idea that it's been an animal and they need to, and there needs to be some consideration around how that animal is produced um, to get to our table has been lost in the process. Very true, very true. I mean, you know what you're really kind of bringing to mind, separate from the facts and the figures and the statistics that you have laid out on your website, you know, very profoundly, by the way, 70% of food animals globally are raised in intensive farming systems, 99% in the United States, 14.5% of greenhouse gas emissions from the livestock production, more, as you said before, the transportation uh, sector worldwide, $100 trillion of value at risk by 2050 due to antibiotic resistance. I mean, it it goes on. There's a cascade of problems, which I very much appreciate (laughs) your laying out here. Um, But, you know, i got to say, there's something underneath all of this, which is that there is this profound loss and absence of respect for life. I know that may sound maybe naive in this crazy world we live in, but do you know that animals are treated the way they are in these cages, in these utterly, uh, we say inhumane, but they're unanimal-like to treat anybody, any living sentient creature in the ways that these beings are treated. 
it's utterly it's utterly devastating to really think that uh we have gone to this level of not caring yeah. for our uh beautiful expressions of nature in the form of animals. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I will agree but it, and it is, you know, and many people take a, a more ethical stance on on the production of animals for food. But I think yes. What the missing link is, and some consumers are very aware, but I think what um, what's missing is, you know, consumer awareness. Whether or not you believe the animals have been treated inhumanely, we do know now that how the animals are treated um, equates to a real economic cost, which, you know, therefore equates to a material value at risk. And so yeah. we're hoping through our investor network and our investor coalition, that actually brings to the fore the need for some kind of intervention. Because as we all know, sadly, taking emotions out of this, money talks. Mm-hmm. And when the assets yes. of this industry are at risk or the assets of insurance systems are at risk because they're going to be unable to cope um, with the strain of um, paying out policies, um, on the back of you know a huge outbreak of antibiotic resistance, or even increasing um, illnesses associated with cancer, yes. diabetes, obesity, that all stems back from producing meat um, in a very uncostly way, which means it's almost overly accessible to consumers who are eating it in excess. Yes, yes. So in other words, unlike your grandparents that ate it once a week, and respectfully, I understand, and because it was economically feasible to only have it once a week, and it was special, as you were saying, to something that's being consumed sometimes two and three, four times a day by Americans especially, because of its prevalence and its uh, cost reduction. So what do you propose, Maria, are the solutions to this? incredibly large problem. Yeah, I mean, some of the solutions are happening, um, you know, stemming straight out of consumer awareness. I mean, we've seen over uh-huh. the years consumer consumers being much more aware of um, what they're eating, wanting organic food, wanting to understand the provenance of food, wanting to have a more yes. healthy diet. And on the back of that wave, I think beginning to understand the health implications of overconsumption of meat. Um, And more recently, the environmental impacts of the overconsumption and production of meat. And so we're seeing, you know, a a huge trend globally where consumers of – of all ages, are beginning to reduce their meat consumption, whether it be for um, ethical reasons or human health reasons or wanting to protect the environment. And this trend Mm -hmm. is growing at a a substantial rate. I mean, we've already seen uh, shifts in dietary consumption that means that, you know, these consumer waves are actually meaning significant market share threat to some of the traditional Um, companies who are exposed to animal protein in their product portfolios. Um, And so this means that we have, you know, a momentum that's growing from a consumer base. And we also see momentum uh, growing in the understanding of the material financial risk to this system. Um, The Mm -hmm. 
overexposure of, of animal protein in many ways can be a, a real economic threat to many of these global food manufacturers and retailers who need to start thinking about um, how they meet their own climate um, targets internally while their product portfolio is largely dependent on products that are, are are based on animal protein. And so those conversations are already having, and that's another pillar by which, um, you know, this sector is really shifting. We're also seeing regulation shifting um, on you know, a variety of different areas. One is, you know, animal welfare, what's happening in terms of giving animals more space. Um, that means healthier animals without the need of antibiotics. Um, antibiotic regulation is also shifting. So, again, we're seeing um, real momentum of moving away from antibiotic use in the food system. Um, and we're seeing investor momentum for really beginning to understand the myriad risks that are associated with um, intensive animal production, um, particularly as they begin um, understanding their investor portfolio's exposure to um, greenhouse gas emissions, carbon intensity, water water overuse, et cetera. So I think we're, we're almost arriving at this, you know, at this period of a perfect storm, if you will, where I think we're going to yeah. start seeing some significant changes, as well as the um, real interest over disruptive technologies that are now beginning to, again, take market share from these traditional manufacturers, retailers, and producers, um, and you know, getting lots of consumer focus, whether it be um, something more uh, well-known such as plant-based milk taking significant market share away from, from dairy production, or now towards, you know, more, a more sexier topic of plant-based burgers, um, cell-based yeah. meat, um, things like the, the impossible, impossible burger, the impossible burger mm -hmm. beyond meat, who had probably one yes. of the most um, oversubscribed IPOs that we've seen in the food sector in some time. So I think so we're, we're coming up on a real convergence of interests that are going to make a significant shift in in the food system. Yeah, that's great. I thank you for all of that. And, you know, there's just an increasing amount of science uh, that's actually been accruing for many decades, but it's mm -hmm. reaching more of a critical mass these days about the the health benefits of a plant-based diet. There have been, you know, obviously m numerous studies, a famous one in China, with many thousands and thousands of people where, you know, uh, conducted by public health physicians showing that mm. a plant-based diet is just the way to go for in respect to heart disease, cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So that profile is increasing while what you're saying from the ethical point of view, from the environmental point of view, from so many other points of view, the interest yeah. in standard meat production is going down. And do you see it measurably going down in different portfolios across the world? The meat, I mean, moving away the from The investment in, in commercial meat production oh, okay. and the companies uh, that run that. No, I mean, I wouldn't say that, you know, there's a big divestment movement, if you will. I mean, uh, let's be honest, mm -hmm. in the short term, you know, I think, you know, we meat production is not going to go away. Um, the, the developing markets are, you know, the demand for proteins only increasing. Um, but we do, what we do see is a real um, interest in understanding the material financial risks 
inherent in this sector, right? So yes. what does that mean? That means that investors are going to begin to have it, be having more meaningful discussions um, with the companies that they're holding in their portfolio. And in some cases, investors don't have a choice, right? Much of the world's uh, pension and portfolio assets are in passive funds. Um, where you know, mm-hmm. that are held in perpetuity, and so the constituents of these benchmarks or indices by which many large institutional investors are investing have these large companies which have significant market cap and therefore make up uh, many of the world's investable benchmarks. But what we're seeing, and what's to all of our benefit, is a real engagement from the investment community to begin to ask companies how they're managing a lot of these risks. Um, these, you know, in many ways, at least the the protein producers are the suppliers to all of our restaurants, retailers, McDonald's, you know, Denny's, all of our supermarkets, Costco. Um, Walmart of the day. And so really managing these supply chains, both from the consumer-facing company's perspective, as well as the producers, is a benefit to everyone. Um, And the understanding of the risk in the system and having investors involved as a significant lever of capital means that I think we're going to see movement um, much quicker. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you described very well, the sexiness of the plant-based burger is just so much surging forward. Um, It's rather remarkable. It's also getting a lot of press these days. And uh, I know I had an Impossible Burger not that long ago, and it was really quite good. You know, I I was very impressed with it. Right? There's more and more happening in this space. Right. Yeah, there's more and more happening in the space. Technology is shifting. There's, you know, these are products that are um, that are targeting, you know, meat eaters. You know, they're not, yeah. you know, they're not the well, they can be the flexitarians or the vegans, but you know, people who don't even want the taste or smell or texture of meat. These products are being developed to replace traditional burgers. Um, and so there's a lot of R&D um, and technology that it's go- that's going into these products in order to have the same taste, the same feel, right. um, yeah. the same sort of visual response that a, that a consumer would have as they consume these products. Um, and so it's, it's a very exciting market, and it's obviously tapping into a number of, of different areas that we're seeing on sort of the food tech side that has become quite exciting for both corporates um, and venture capitals that I think can make – will end up making um, a pretty significant dent and be fairly disruptive um, to the food system probably in the next five to ten years. I mean, we don't. We have you know companies who are looking at producing plant-based sources um, to biomimic animal proteins, and then we have mm-hmm. you know a lot of fantastic stuff going on sort of the bioreactor side, where they're producing animal proteins through fermentation process and yeast that goes way back to similar processes that we've seen with insulin and cheese production. So it's just taking on some of these processes that we've used previously to begin to um, cultivate animal protein without the need of the animal. Um, And it's, you know, quite frankly, very exciting and disrupting the market. You have companies like Just who produce um, a plant-based egg 
who are taking market really? share away from companies like Conagra, who've had the you know egg beater brand, which is a liquid egg brand in the market for decades, which you know yes. previously had about forty percent market share, and now you know a plant-based alternative is coming into the market, doesn't have the same exposure to commodity price price fluctuations, nor to disease impacts. Um, and, you know, you have big companies like Costco, um, you know, going into contracts with companies like Just to, to be able to offer these products in bulk for $10. So that's a real Isn't disruptor, um, especially if you Very can so. mimic the same taste and feel and, you know, visual yeah. responses that people get to, you know, eggs from a chicken. You know, you're reminding me of a meal that I had in Flushing, New York, when I was studying acupuncture in the early 1980s, and a group of us, after studying, went out for a Chinese dinner, and it was a restaurant that only served soy, but Mm -hmm. it served soy meat, it served soy chicken, it served soy shrimp, everything was soy-based. That was almost 40 years ago, Maria. So in some way, this is not a new idea. It just has not really grabbed the attention of the investment community and others until relatively more recently. But there have been people who have sort of been on this track for a long, long time, and it's rather remarkable to watch it come to fruition. I also am thinking that we can decry the sadness and the issue of ethics and all of that all day long. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it seems that facts and figures in so many areas don't really make a difference in people's lives. It's sort of intellectual Mm -hmm. information that doesn't get, no pun intended, digested. But when you provide an alternative the way you are speaking of now with things like the plant-based burger and et cetera and dairy, well, oh, my God, there's something they can positively go forward toward. And it reminds me of uh, actually at the bottom of my own electronic signature in my email uh, is a quote of the wonderful, internationally loved Buckminster Fuller, who wrote, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Yeah. I feel that that's what's happening here. Very appropriate. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Very appropriate. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, yeah. You can't, you can't. And by the way, that doesn't mean not to, I'm sorry, that doesn't mean not to outline the facts and the figures of the damage that, uh, you know, animal production, commercial animal production is yielding. Oh, my God, I think we need to know that and we need to digest it. At the same time, let's all offer an alternative. Yep. I think you're right. And, again, um, I would sort of classified it as a convergence of all that happening in the food industry. And I mean, just to that point, if you see Tyson, Tyson, chicken Tyson, right? Like I, I never would believe that I, they would, you know, take a steak in beyond meat, take a steak in Memphis meat, you know, set up a VC lab so that they are VC funds so they can start exploring and looking at innovation, have their previous CEO say, 
you know, we don't consider ourselves a chicken company anymore. We consider ourselves a protein producer. Um, Coming out with their own vegan line, Tyson. Oh, that is awesome. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to have to come up with a new word from disruptive, which is like consensus building, you know, around a new (laughs) way of being, you know. Because yeah. it's becoming so, it's becoming like over to become disruptive, you know, <laughs> which I think is yeah, fantastic. Exactly. Now, there's something remarkable. I mean, a number of things remarkable about FAIR, but one that sort of just pops right out of $16.1 trillion yeah. under management, assets under management, and that's a extraordinary number that suggests of course that you have major muscle behind you and a tremendous amount of of uh, unified thinking around this subject could you talk about that a bit yeah i mean look i think fair was launched in 2015 there were already a handful of investors who were thinking about the food system um, you know, there were yeah. some topics that were already being addressed from nutrition to food waste. Um, but as there came onto the scene, because there was no other organization that was looking really at the risks that were going to affect, you know, something that's very systemic, such as food safety and food security, I think it was yeah. quite a revolution, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we were a bit, again, in a sweet spot where there was not very many other organizations that were looking at the intensive animal um, agriculture production system through a lens of environment, social, and corporate governance risks. And so we're a membership organization. We're absolutely free. Um, And we offer research um, and data and practical tools to investors if they sign up as members. And so our membership space grew very quickly. And I think that's a real testament to one to, I mean, the fantastic team at FAIR producing um, expert materials for investors that they that really are adding value to their own investment process, but also on the flip side for investors saying, hey, you know what? This is going to become the next global megatrend, and I don't want to be on the back foot. I need to have mm-hmm. current information on what's happening in the sector that means I can make the best decisions in, um, in terms of um, analyzing investment risk portfolios and not missing a step when it comes to opportunities. And I think, you know, FAIR just fit that bill so perfectly that, you know, we've been able to grow our network um, exponentially. I mean, clearly it doesn't come with its own, you know, hard work. We have to go out to speak to investors to, you know, actually explain to them that there may be some issues they hadn't previously considered um, associated with some of the companies in their portfolios. Um, but it hasn't, quite frankly, been that hard uh, to convince investors this is something that they need to better understand the potential risks um, to the long-term value of, of you know, pension assets. And so we've, you know, knock wood, you know, it's, it's nothing that we, you know, sit back and relax about. Yeah. But, you know, we've been really sure. able to grow our membership network, which, you know, goes without saying, helps us raise awareness about the initiative itself um, and about the risks associated with sectors. So we're absolutely delighted that we're growing so quickly, and there's more investors yeah. that um, want to understand these risks um, in more depth and breadth. 
Well, that is fantastic, and I'm so glad to hear this story and that there are so many investors and people who stand so squarely behind what you're doing at FAIR. And the point is that, well, as you say, this has been a long-neglected area of really reviewing the larger environmental and ecological issues regarding greenhouse gases, contributing, of course, to climate change, and we cannot afford to be missing any of them, anything that's contributing. And this has sort of been, you know, no pun intended, the elephant in the room. It's just standing yes. there hovering over everything, correct? Yes. And yes, therefore, exactly. you're bringing this it's level of attention to scenario, it. What, you know, you're missing yes. what's underneath. You better watch out. It, you know, you, you know exactly. has the, it has the um, opportunity to take you down. So the more you know, the better, the better prepared you are. Exactly. Well, I want to just thank you so much for being a guest today, and we'll have to have you on so we can further unpack this. Uh, but this was a very good <laughs> introduction. My okay, excellent. And I look forward to seeing you later. And I also want to thank Hazel Henderson and Ethical Markets for introducing us and uh, suggesting that we get together like this, which I so appreciate because your work is so valuable to the larger picture. We here at A Better World, Maria, are wholly dedicated to increasing the education around uh, personal and planetary health and sustainability. So it's, um, it's a match, and I, I really appreciate your right. input today. Well, appreciate, appreciate all the work that you and Hazel do as well. So thanks so much for your interest. Absolutely. Thanks again, and I'll speak with you soon. Great. Maria Latini, Bye -bye. you're so welcome. Director of FAIR. And she's sharing with us, God, the work that this organization is doing is remarkable. And the, the power that they are garnering through their investor base to understand the ESG, the environmental, the sustainable, and the governance uh, perspective, purview of what's going on on the planet and what is doing most to contribute to greenhouse gases, to water disruption and a shrinking amount of water on the planet. We were talking about that a little bit just the other day with uh, the NASA scientist Dennis Bushnell and what we have to do to shore things up. No pun intended. You follow my meaning. And there's a lot. And what Marie was talking about and the work of FAIR is very much uh, addressing these issues really head on and supporting alternatives you know it's one thing to decry an issue and say this is wrong and this is bad and criticize it and all that and it's another of course to offer true solutions and alternatives and options so people can go yeah you know what that makes sense and it has all of these environmental benefits and health benefits as well i think i'll go in that direction so on that note, I want to just thank you all for listening. Uh, we are a nonprofit ourselves, a 501c3, so any donations you make to us help us thrive and sustain on the air and provide you with the education 
and God willing inspiration that you may not get through other channels. So uh, if interested or want in helping us out in that regard and in investing in a better world, uh, contact me directly at mjr at abetterworld.net. That's mjr at abetterworld.net. As well as please your suggestions, recommendations, and experience of the show. It's always, always so appreciated. Uh, if you do not yet get our free newsletter, go to www.mjr.net. A betterworld.tv. That's a betterworld.tv in the right-hand column. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter announcing what we'll be doing on the show, both the radio show and the public access community TV show here in New York City. Every Monday at 7 p.m., it can be watched on television here, or it can be watched through our website, betterworld.tv. We have a series of different um, counseling and coaching, consulting uh, services we offer as well. So check that out on our website as well as at MitchellRaven.com. Thanks again for being with us today. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. And I want to thank Maria Latini for being our guest today as well as Hazel Henderson of Ethical Markets again. And I want to see you all next Thank you.